Welcome to Risk Roundup. From photosynthesis to signal transduction, essentially all electronic processes in nature seems to occur in molecular form structures. Now, since the tools of molecular synthesis are advancing rapidly, the application of molecular building blocks for the fabrication of electronic components is gaining ground. Now, since molecular electronics use single molecules or nanoscale collection of single molecules as electronic components, great efforts are being made to duplicate the capabilities of silicon-based circuitry at the molecular level. As a result, there is a need to evaluate all available molecules that can be effectively used to develop molecular chips. And it seems that there is a great interest and potential in using DNA to generate molecular changes never imagined before. To discuss molecular chips further, I'm honored to welcome Paul Muller to Risk Roundup. Paul is the founder and CEO of Rosal Biotechnologies and is developing a molecular electronics technology that will integrate single molecules as part of electronic circuits to deliver game-changing advantages to unlock precision medicine. And Paul is based in the United States. Welcome, Paul. We are so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Uh, thank you, Jayashree. I really appreciate the opportunity and the platform to really present such a disruptive technology to the world. Wonderful. Now, it's my pleasure and honor here. So, Paul, before we discuss the molecular chips, let's talk broadly about the DNA economy and the emerging revolution. How close are we to the DNA economy from your assessment, from what you are seeing? Well, I think... Uh our ability to read DNA and, and the genome of things uh, in, in a very comprehensive and complete way is going to equip us with uh, unparalleled knowledge just about you know, how we function. Uh, anything with a living, uh, any li all living organisms have DNA. And so our ability now to leverage that information is going to impact us across, across various aspects of life. So I, I think of it more from, if you think about how we how we feed the world, how we how we cure the world, uh, how we protect the world. These are all things that are going to be impacted greatly by 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 this uh, DNA uh, economy. And I believe that in the next uh, in the next uh, you know very near future, we'll start to see a lot of these uh, these come online and into the mainstream. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, if you look at synthetic biology uh, or, you know, this molecular electronics field, there are so many changes happening that focus only on DNA. And with the direct-to-consumer, you know, DNA tools that are available, gene, gene testing tools, that is also giving us a lot of advantage because we are collecting so much data. Now, it's if you look at the uh, computer industry or the data industry, if we can see the digital data, uh, there is a challenge that, you know, all these traditional hard drives or, you know, the digital format of data that, you know, that is stored on the hard drives or on the physical drives that get corrupted or damaged, you know, in like 30, 40 years. So there is a lot of focus on using DNA data storage. So once we start using DNA data storage, it's going to fundamentally change everything. And that will, I was thinking when I read about your technology, that DNA reading technology, and I was thinking with the DNA data storage, 
if we we are going to need dna reading technologies because you will need to read the data stored in so many different formats in mobile and all different kinds of you know formats so what you are developing is not just i think for precision medicine it's going to be very very useful for so many industries for you know reading the dna data that is stored you know the dna data storage or even if we you know look at the bioterrorism that uh, is happening currently or it could be coming our way if we have mobile you know dna uh, reader yeah. Yeah. then you can you know place that using the iot sensor you can place it at so many different locations and you can get that intelligence in a timely manner so we can quickly come up with that uh, you know once we know what the sequences of the virus or pathogen coming over way then we can quickly come up and you know come uh, find a solution you know vaccine or some kind of treatment so what you are developing is so it has such a huge potential for that that's that's right and uh one of the applications you mentioned uh digital dna data storage if you think about it nature has has really optimized uh storage of information and that is how you know uh, information is passed from parents to sibling and that has happened over over many generations and and millions of years so nature has really optimized that and we have an opportunity now to actually move from storing information say on a digital drive or rather magnetic uh, media you but now you use dna to store that information and they if you think about for example the the ability to have such high density storage mediums that will transform the world right we all now are saving all all our pictures and and a lot of information each of us has a cloud drive of 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 information but what people don't understand that we are actually getting to a point where the the amount of information we generate there's no storage actually to meet that demand we are going to run out of storage and so this is this is not a, a nice to have but it is a reality that we need to transform our storage medium and have a new way to to store information that that can give us the density we require yes. uh, what has also impacted the the storage world is that we are in a place now where we are starting to 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 i think we've all heard of machine learning and artificial intelligence and how that whole world is transforming life as we, uh, and and our lives today it is relying on on information and and you need big data sets a lot of information we are recording videos all the time now many cars have different sensors you record temperature uh, video etc and so all this just uh upside of generating information must meet uh, a technology that can store it uh, appropriately and and uh, in a affordable way so that we can actually then take advantage of of these other opportunities right uh, the one that is uh, kind of interesting to me is uh, when you think about now we are talking about mars and going to other other planets uh, if you were to, if you, and we all envision a world where we can go and colonize mars how will you actually take information to go 3d print a colony on mars you definitely do not want to be shipping uh, hard drives uh, but you want a, a really dense medium like dna and just to give you an example if you took all of the world's digital data today generated since since incept the world uh, began to today you can store all that in about uh, something about the the uh, uh, the size of a sugar cube of uh, of sugar mm-hmm. right so it's pretty dense and so if you were to 
take that information, uh, go colonize a planet, you really do not need a dense uh, sort of um, an, uh, a large number of hard drives. And mm-hmm. so you're in a situation where you are actually now creating really different use cases and uh, providing us with an opportunity to, to actually use data in ways that we've never used before. Yes, you are absolutely right. There's, there's such a huge potential. The first point that you made about the storing of the data from you know one generation to another, if we think, if we are able to do it for you know several generations, we can study so much. Like we yes. can, uh, from the evolutionary perspective, this is huge because that you know it will give us an ability to look at the DNA and the mutations that are happening, all the any changes happening at cellular level, you know, uh, DNA level. We will be able to study all that you know in the coming years, and that itself it has such a huge potential. So when we look at all the potential of these, and it seems that you all at Roswell are converging. Uh, not only just one advance, but advancements in nanotechnology, complementary metal oxide semiconductor technology, molecular biology, and material sciences to realize this, you know, uh, potential of this uh, uh, technology or the capability of reading DNA. So, what is the current state of the technology? Is it ready? Is it commercially available? How? And if it is, then how effectively can it read the DNA? Well, it, it is, it is a quite a complex project, like you mentioned. Uh, we, we are uh, converging uh, the, the cutting edge of some of these advanced technologies, right? We, we are at the very bleeding edge of, of nanotechnology and the feature sizes we need to create. And uh, the idea is that you need to create feature sizes that approach the size of a molecule. And so we're really pushing these technologies to the limit. And in some cases, uh, we are a little bit ahead of the technology and waiting for the technology to catch up to us. So we we have uh, been successful in creating uh, these molecular electronic sensors. Uh, These sensors are now being deployed on on CMOS technology. And we have been working now to scale that to a point where we have enough enough, uh, pixels or enough density to actually read a full genome. Uh, a big part of the effort right now is, is optimizing the sequencing chemistry, and, and that is the chemistry that actually reads the DNA. Uh, it is uh, essentially taking, in our case, uh, the enzyme that has evolved in nature to make a copy of DNA. Uh, we take that, that enzyme and we actually tether it and integrate it into an electronic circuit. And then we are able then uh, via that circuit to monitor what the polymerase is doing. And so if I were to give that polymerase a template, it's going to make a copy of that template. And I, I can actually observe that directly and electronically. And that's an important point because uh, most of the technologies out there have relied on, on a chemistry that sort of translates what the polymerase is doing into a color change. And the color change is what you observe by taking a picture of it. It's very slow, uh, the, the workflow is, is very difficult, but this is really uh, observing that chemistry and converting the, the enzymatic activity into an electronic signature that we are able to read. So we are pretty happy with where we are and how the technology is evolving. We, we are stabilizing the sequence in chemistry and, and, and uh, we are looking forward uh, in the next year or two to being in the market and uh, giving at least uh, the market uh, an early flavor of this type of sequencing. Good, good. So that's uh, in very near future, one to two years. That's really good. So the one point that you made, the molecular sensors, are 
is that a potential of using those sensors on a level like iot's you know how iot sensors are everywhere you know being deployed so would that be possible as a standalone sensor to be applied wherever we want to yeah absolutely and so what what we um roswell's competency is in integrating uh, the molecules into circuits so it, it is a platform technology that can we can apply many different types of molecules depending on the use case and even i envision a world where as as cmos technology sort of uh, hits its plateau and and scalability in terms of uh, its shrinking capacity i believe that there's a time and place where you can start to to use molecules to even get more uh, uh, sort of uh, farther scaling uh, of these technologies and getting greater densities and and having then you know uh, uh, in a couple of years having a TV on the wall that actually runs on molecular electronics. So this is um, you're right. Uh, the 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 technology is a platform technology and and with many applications possible. And we're just talking about uh, for us sequencing is the holy grail applications because of the implications on on health and and longevity. And, uh, and so, but we are pursuing other applications as well that will en enable us to, and one, one interesting one, for example, is um, you could have, uh, uh, you know, it, it, the way at airports, you, we have sniffing dogs and they smell out bombs and all that. That could be an electronic noise, right? So you could develop all sorts of applications uh, that starts to to pick uh, and or integrate different uh, sort of sensor enzymes and, and molecules that are, are found in nature and using those then uh, in the form of a circuit. Oh my god is that real possibility molecular bombs Paul? Yep. That's going to be pretty terrifying because you know too uh, we will then need to come up with all kinds of technology to quickly scan the areas and to be able to find that and right now also we are having challenges you know to manage the uh, these kind of threats so molecular bombs that uh, yeah and and it's i i look at it more from the the aspect of uh, of 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 sensing right and i think yeah. you talked about for example when we talked about uh, the technology being applied to to feed the wild heal the wild and protect the wild and the protect the wild comes from the perspective where you can actually deploy these sorts of sensors right you can, you could have it uh, sitting at, at uh, in the streets or where you can actively monitor the environment uh, and and sniff the environment and you could have it in 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 the ocean on on a drone uh, going all over the place, and and you could be sequencing in real time. You could be monitoring in real time, and because of the way the sensor is is developed, it is literally very small. It's it's it doesn't take a lot of power. It it's a very simple instrument, and because of this direct nature to sense. I hear you. I think there is a real possibility that. Uh someone would develop molecular bombs and we will need to be ahead you know at least a step ahead to figure out how to stop those people so that this is uh, definitely a cause of great concern and we will have to uh, monitor this very you know thoroughly what developments are happening where where you know the security risk could emerge but coming back to the dna reading technology uh, 
do you think that this technology solution that you are developing that it would be mobile someday and that it will be able to read uh, dna of any living being i mean not just to bring a sample in the lab and you know read the sample but uh, to have a, some kind of portable monitor so we just you know go ahead and read you know wherever we want to read would is there a potential of uh, making it mobile there is a potential for especially making it mobile because of the miniaturization that is possible uh you have a sensor like i say that is that is completely an integrated uh, circuit uh and has very few moving parts so you you don't have your typical uh, optical system with a camera that is very sensitive and and you cannot easily deploy that on an on a sort of a mobile sensor but in this case it is uh, pretty much solid state and and uh and miniaturized and uh because of of also the simplicity of the workflow you it's very amenable to miniaturization and for mobile deployment right you, you i see a world where the police cruiser will have its own little dna sequencer uh if they they want to see if somebody is in the cordis criminal database they could easily just quickly uh you know scan uh, read that person's genome while he's still in the vehicle uh and uh and 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 or you could have a situation where you're out in the field monitoring uh some really nasty infectious diseases uh, for epidemiology or just for diagnostics um and and or on the other case if you're trying to monitor sort of uh uh for bioterrorism right yeah out in the field our soldiers are, are out in the field they could have this in their backpacks and and actively monitor the environment so it's very very amenable to to that mm-hmm. sort of miniaturization and deployment yes now that that's a real possibility like you say and these are early stages so but there is a potential and probably you know there is a need because we will need to develop a, a mobile solution but now let's let's talk about the efforts where your focus is currently on precision medicine so the current prevention and treatment of disease is not precisely tailored to each individual's unique capability or variability in genes or you know their uh, internal environment or out you know external environment and lifestyle because all those things are not possible to right now you know collectively evaluate it's a complex you know process so from your assessment what is missing in the current approach other than you know the point that i just made and what is your company's vision Uh, to transform and how you know you are planning to transform this entire world of medicine uh, from this uh, new technology you know molecular chips that you are developing or dna reading technology and uh, many other you know uh, technological applications that you are developing yeah that's uh, that's a question it's very near and dear to my heart and that is one of the reasons uh, that we started Rosewell is because of the impact for for just uh improving our health and and how we treat how we diagnose people and uh, especially having the ability to tailor the medication and therapy to the person and not based on sort of a a clinical trial that you know that has nothing to do with my genome right and so the the problem with precision medicine today is that if you were to sequence your genome today the utility of that information is not very much and the problem is that we really don't know enough so how do we get from a pl- from this place of limited information 
to creating uh, an encyclopedia where when I sequence you or I sequence myself, I go and look at my genome and compare it to the encyclopedia. And I look at a particular location and say, look, the encyclopedia tells me that if I have this gene, there's a potential that when I turn 30, I'm going to get cancer, for example, right? And so what to cr the, the bottleneck is the knowledge base. And to create the knowledge base requires that we sequence millions of people. And to sequence millions of people, you cannot do that when it costs $1,000 to sequence a million people. That's a billion dollars to just create knowledge. It's very difficult to actually go to investors and try to raise money to create a knowledge base because just the nature of it uh, and trying to put the, the return of your investment out in the future uh, as a result. And so what Roswell's doing is we are attacking this problem by, by driving down the cost of sequencing where uh, you can actually decide today that I'm going to go get my genome sequenced and, and that contributes to a database and a knowledge base. Or more importantly, we can enable projects like the Cancer Moonshot, Moonshot Project in the US, uh, the Veteran uh, million, uh, million Genome Project in the US, or the UK uh, Genome Project, or the Saudi Arabia Genome Project. All these projects suddenly will be able to go and sequence their populations. And because these, these have to be national efforts, right? You, because uh, different populations have very unique uh, genomes that are characteristic to that, 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 that particular population. And so countries need to be especially then enabled to sequence their population, to catalog their population and create knowledge bases that then are going to be uh, more suitable for that population. By driving down the cost of sequencing, we will suddenly be able to do that. Uh, the, our, our insurance company will say, well, if it's 100 bucks, if it's 10 bucks for your genome, I'm just going to sequence you now. We'll keep that as part of your medical record. We'll learn from it. And as information becomes available, then, then uh, you'll get a phone call and say, hey, you know, this gene was discovered. You have it. And, and this is what it means for you. Or when you go to the doctor you know, you, you need a dose of aspirin. They're going to look at your, your sort of your pharmacogenomic, which is sort of the, your genome that controls how you metabolize drugs. And they're going to say, look, you need half a dose. You don't need, or you need twice the dose. Or by the way, if you take aspirin, it is going to be toxic to you, right? So these, these are, uh, uh, this is what we'll be able to do with precision medicine. And, and we are at the forefront of enabling that by driving down the cost and also making the work for very simple such that you, you do not need to be a PhD to sequence a genome. You can have a, a lab tech uh, uh, or somebody with, with minimal skills actually be able to do that uh, and have the data then analyzed. Now, that is certainly going to be disruptive and it has a huge potential. So all these countries that you talked about, UK and Saudi Arabia, all those projects, are, they, are you all working together? Yeah, these are projects that are happening uh, globally, uh, and uh, I'm aware of some of the projects that I've been involved with, and I'm aware that uh, there's quite a few projects that have samples ready to sequence, curated samples, but the cost barrier is too high, and so they're, they're mostly waiting for the cost to drop. And so this, these are, this is important because once uh, getting organized and, and biobanked and ready to go is the bigger problem. 
and then now having a sequencer that can just go and apply to the samples, then that where that's that's going to to be the next step. Yes, very true, very true. Now that there is a huge potential and uh, uh, coming down, of course, I mean, $100 for analysis, that is going to be pretty transformative. And I think you're also focusing on reducing the speed, right? I mean, you talked about that it would be very simple that anybody with, uh, I mean, uh, basic skills can, you know, uh, learn to, you know, do the sequencing. They don't, you don't need a PhD for that. So that itself is a big transformation. And on top of it, if it takes just a very little time, uh, to do the test, then it's, uh, you know, pretty useful, you know, for all those uh, uh, tests that needs to be done all across nations. And, you know, we need a proper, you know, data accumulation, data analysis. Uh, so that is going to be very transformative, Paul. And uh, congratulations on, you know, working on this and coming up with a sensible solution. Now, DNA bio, uh, we talked about using the DNA as a molecule for, you know, these molecular chips. But uh, I was reading that it, there is also a lot of, you know, efforts going on to using protein as, you know, uh, biochips. And there are also, you know, a lot of hydrocarbons that are being used. And uh, there are also uh, several other things that are being tested. So when we talk about protein biochips in comparison to DNA biochips, especially for personalized medicine, uh, is your focus strictly on DNA biochips or you're also focusing on protein biochips? Uh, no, we, we essentially are focused on the above, and the, the way we like to, to think about Rosewell is, is, like I said, have competency in integrating all sorts of molecules into circuits, uh, including uh, peptides or proteins, for that matter, and, and DNA and, and other molecules. And so it really is a question of what is the application, because for some applications, DNA is sufficient, for others you need a peptide, for others you need a... Uh, other material, and um, and it's all about signal to noise and 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 being able to sense above above the noise. And so these are it's mostly dependent the application you're developing, what exactly is the sensor, and then you you have a choice of of sort of p uh, uh, pieces <laughs> to put together and and assemble the sensor. Yes, yes, no, very true. Now, I mean, when we look at uh biochips, you know, molecular biochips. And uh, if you look at the molecular synthesis, uh, the tools of the, doing this molecular synthesis, it looks like, you know, they are quite advanced now. And, uh, uh, but there is still, you know, certain, you know, uh, drawbacks that, you know, in there, there some of them are still instable at high temperatures. So uh, the setup that you have for, you know, DNA, uh, technology that you're developing, DNA reading, and uh, all that, are they uh, stable at high temperatures or you need it you know, into some specific, you know, temperature range? Uh, no, these are, these are, since they are biomolecules, you tend to operate within a given temperature regime. And, and this is pretty much ambient uh, temperatures are sufficient. Uh, and that's where we operate. So we, we really don't have a problem with, uh, with uh, excessive temperatures in our, on our system. That, that's really good. So when we talk about uh, the circuit, you know, if you are developing a biochip, DNA biochip, you also need to develop the circuit. So I have has that uh, been already tried to develop the circuit for uh, the DNA chip? Oh, yeah, we, we definitely have advanced programs that uh, you, you, the sensor itself is, is a discrete sensor, but then you, you deploy that 
on a socket and and you know the appropriate amplifier boards and and uh, you know voltmeters that you you create and 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 build them as part of your integrated chip and then you you deploy that on a, on CMOS and scale it so this is all uh, uh, as we started we said it's uh, you know multiple sort of competences and and uh, bringing together then the CMOS uh, the electronics the nano nano sort of uh, fabrication uh, and uh, all all the software that all ties all that together. So those are all part and parcel of the development we're doing at Roswell. Good, good, good. So now when we talk about the uh, molecular charge transport for the when we develop the DNA chips, what is the mechanism uh, behind it? Well, this is a, <laughs> you ask a good question, right? This is something that is going to need to be studied to fully understand the mechanisms. Uh, we are still really just starting to understand, is it electron hopping, is it tunneling? Uh, this is what we are, we are trying to fully comprehend. And, uh, you know, we will, be, uh, we will be publishing on this in the next uh, couple months. So stand by for, for an update uh, once we are, we are done with those experiments and uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to shed some more light on that. Good, good. I look forward to reading that. So now when we talk about where you are in the technology development and all these different projects that are going on uh, at Roswell, what are the key challenges you are facing uh, to reaching to reach the vision that you have as a company? Well, <laughs> I, th I think the key challenges are, are recruiting. We're in a very competitive market. You know, we have Qualcomm, Apple's opening shop here. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, so... It, it is um, it is difficult to recruit and retain talent, and so we're very fortunate that most of the uh, the, the team who's come in and and been part and parcel of Roswell are people who really believe in the mission and the vision. And so, it, it creating a, a culture that is empowering, that is that is supportive, uh, that allows us to take risks and and fail fast and 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 and. Uh, Learn fast is very important. Uh, on on the that's on the people side. I think on the technology side, it, definitely the nanofabrication was a big challenge for us. And like I said, uh, we are a little bit ahead of of where the technology is in terms of nanofabrication, which means we need to play uh, quite a few tricks to to nanofabricate at the feature size we need to to work at. And um, so. That, that's been one. And, and the other one is really in the material sciences space, right? So you, you're trying to, to take a biological molecule and then, and then make it part of a, a circuit. And that's not a trivial uh, problem to have. You can imagine if you, were, you took yourself and you, and you plugged yourself into an electrical circuit, there's a lot of things you have to worry about. And so we, uh, we are uh, unfortunately at the at the, we're pioneers in this area. So there's a lot of learning to do and the, no one's really operated at this regime. And so we just have to, to be patient uh, and innovate and, and fail fast and learn. Uh, but it's all about a lot of these advanced uh, uh, concepts. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a lot of patience required. You are right there. <laughs> What would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially about uh, what... Uh, they should be expecting, like, you know, you said in a couple of years, you should be able to publish, you know, a lot of, uh, I, I didn't, I don't think you said a couple of years in near future to publish some of your results. And then you should be ready for the technology. 
Okay. Uh, they're reading technology in probably a couple of years. So uh, in addition to that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about uh, Roswell Technologies or where they can, you know, uh, go to uh, to get more information or if they want to get involved in your research or, you know, to collaborate, uh, where they should reach out? Well, uh, the website, uh, roswellbiotech.com, uh, and that's R-O-S-W-E-L-L, biotech.com. Uh, we have uh, information on the website as well as uh, an ability to contact us right from the website. And like I said, I think it's 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 great to be part of a, a brand new sensor technology, and I believe that in the next uh, you know couple of years that when you go to college there'll actually be a subject molecular electronics and and training people that have the ability to then uh, actually create even more technologies uh, using and leverage types of sensors or even just the, the, the technology itself, uh, one day being in, in just sort of a normal electronics like on your phone or on your, or your, your, your computer or your TV at home. And that's where I think it starts to get into the mainstream. So mostly we just the interest and uh, we uh, look forward to, to getting this technology out in the market uh, and uh, where people's lives are going to be impacted. And that's what makes us uh, do this and uh, every morning. Yes, very true. People's lives are going to be impacted, and um, there is this is disruptive. It has a revolutionary potential, no doubt about it. You know, it will disrupt many many industries, not just you know precision medicine, but you know many industries, uh, and also would uh, create bigger you know complex challenges for security professionals like me. You know, because <laughs> this is going to create a security nightmare. It will be very difficult to monitor or keep track of uh, all these, you know, molecular size uh, bombs and sensors and uh, uh, breaches that would happen. So hopefully that we are able to uh, come up with effective solutions uh, by the time you all are ready, innovators like you are ready, uh, so that, you know, we can have a parallel uh, balanced growth and we can manage the risk coming our way. So thank you so much, Paul, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We it's been a pleasure. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on molecular chips and helping us raise awareness of this critical topic. We thank you for that. You're most welcome. Thank you. Also, Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, acquired geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to the management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security so if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, just go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.